0: on this christmas eve we're going to talk about the birth of christ luke who is the only gentile writer in the entire bible in addition to that he's a physician so it's clear that he he has a different perspective he often includes details probably something that is akin to his personality and his training as a physician we're grateful because Only Matthew and Luke give us the story of Christ's birth, but Luke gives us details of the story that are thrilling. So we will look at his version of the birth of Christ today. He begins by giving us the date when it happened. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Corinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Augustus, who is Caesar in Rome, wants to tout his authority. He wants to find out how many available males live in the Roman Empire to raise greater armies. Of course, like any politician, he wants more money. Caesar Augustus, Had made it to the top by crushing anybody who got in his way to consolidate his power and having made it to the top the senate had given him the title augustus which means god and along with that they gave him dictatorial powers over the roman empire well rome certainly thought it was the center of the world luke does not and his gospel makes it clear that there is this little insignificant village called Bethlehem where God's Son is about to enter the world. That is the center of the world. Luke paints a contrast between Caesar Augustus, the self-proclaimed God, a man who has become God, and Mary's baby, who is God, who has become man. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he gives us the exact time of Christmas. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law. So God says, now is the time. It has arrived. It was a special time. Alexander had given the world a common language of Greek, the only time in history where the world spoke or had access to one language covering all nations. Rome had produced super highways and connected the world. Never had the world ever seen that kind of connection. Augustus, of course, thinks he is the greatest one, but he's a piece of lint on the paper because in this place called Bethlehem, named by the prophet Micah 400 years before, it will be the birthplace of God's Son. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. When I think of the birth of Christ, I think of the providence of God, which is one of the greatest doctrines of the Bible, one that I love very much. That is God's ability to bring all things together and fulfill his purposes. Listen to this story by a man named Jay Kessler in a book entitled, I Never Promised You a Disneyland. Most people, when they think of Christmas, think of Camels and swaddling clothes and a manger, but I think of a Ford Motor Plant. One year I toured a plant and watched them assemble cars. It was an eye opener. I always had the idea that Ford would make a guess of how many cars they needed and make them that month. They would decide how many green cars one day and make two or three thousand, and then they would switch to some other color another day. But of course, that's not the way it's done. All over America, people walk into Ford dealerships, look around, kick a few tires, and then order a car. A certain model with specific equipment, color, roof, transmission, and all the extras. The dealer fills out a computer card and order his place with Ford. In one city, they make the correct transmission, in another city, they make the roofs, and another, mirrors, and all the other places. Start feeding their products toward the Ford Motor Plant. The Ford Plant has one man who puts on steering wheels. The car comes down the line and when the green car comes you can bet he doesn't get a red steering wheel to put on it. At exactly the right moment the green steering wheels are there and he reaches out, grabs one and sticks it on. This is what happens with each part, the mirror, the roof, the seat covers and every part shows up at precisely the right instance. Now if a man is capable of designing such an ingenious system to bring thousands of events and people together with precision and timing just to make a car. Imagine what God can do preparing for his visit to earth. That is what I think of as Christmas. The number of things that God brought together at one time in one place is so incredible that it makes the Ford Motor Plant look like a corner gas station. Mary's song, composed after her visit to Elizabeth, tells us that she is becoming aware of God's province of is bringing things together. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Prophetic of Augustus, Caesar, and Jesus. Heaven's king would not come to the proud as Mary and Joseph for proof. Appearances are always very deceptive, especially as Christ's birth is an example. It appeared that an insignificant baby was born to a poor peasant couple in an unimportant village, but nothing could be further from the truth. Luke's description of the birth of Christ in the following aspects is written in such language that is so simple and profound that it is amazing. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary and Joseph have been two insignificant people in an obscure village but they knew very well something extraordinary was happening. They both had experienced visits from a powerful angel from heaven. Both knew the baby had no earthly father. Both knew God's hand was leading them on their journey. Both knew the name they were to give the child. Both knew Because they've been told by the angel that this child would grow up to be very great and that he would one day save his people from their sins. They may have been poor with little influence, but they've been chosen for some extraordinary roles. So Christmas is the incarnation God becoming human flesh. God used Caesar's greed to get Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem at the most inopportune time. But God was behind it. This was the moment, the arrival of his son. So the doctrine of the incarnation is this. It is simply the belief that the son of God became a real man. Not just someone who appeared to be man, but a real man. Jesus was fully God, even when he was a baby lying in a manger. He voluntarily laid aside the use of his divine attributes, he was not omnipresent, laying in that, in that manger. He submitted himself to the will of his Father. Though he was sinless, he had a real human body, a real human mind. He experienced real human emotions, complete with our inherent human weakness. And yes, he would have been tempted by human temptations. But he was a real baby, a real boy, a real man. He had to learn to crawl, to walk, He had to learn how to be a carpenter, but he did it all sinlessly. Paul eloquently wrote of what happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Scholars call this the kenosis or the emptying out of God who became man, who being in very nature did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing." taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul said to Timothy that Jesus had a human body. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Consider the implication of Christ's astounding capacity for sympathy and understanding because of the Incarnation him taking on a human body. His instrument, so to speak, was the same as ours. It is a fact that if you have two in-tune pianos in the same room and a note is struck on one, the same note will gently respond on the other. It is called sympathetic resonance. That's what the writer of Hebrews says Jesus has for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus can feel our pain, our sorrow, our disappointment, because he has the capacity. When our heartstrings are struck, he feels what we feel. John, the fourth gospel, may have not written about the birth of Christ, but he wrote about the incarnation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word refers to Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul wrote much about the Incarnation. Romans, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The writer of the Hebrews writes much about the incarnation. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And the birth of Christ also fulfilled the promises of God. From the earliest pages of the Bible, God had made promises of hope. Genesis 3.15, which is the judgment for the sin of Adam and Eve and the Satan who played a role in their fall. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From this very first judgment, God is giving us hope. This first Adam failed, but I will send another Adam The ultimate offspring of Eve. And he, he will be wounded in his fight with Satan. But he will ultimately crush Satan. The promise that the Savior would be born to virgin would also be fulfilled in Bethlehem that night. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. For to us a child is born To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Joseph and Mary were not pawns of Caesar, though they were forced to return. Joseph was fulfilling the promise that he represented the house of David. His lineage was David, and he and Mary were where they were supposed to be at the right time. The journey was nearly 100 miles. It was winter. It would have been difficult walking 100 miles or even on a borrowed donkey when you're nine months pregnant. The pace had to be slow, the stress of the baby coming early, the exhaustion of the trip, the labor pains. It could not have been an anxiety-free trip. Luke says, while they were there, having arrived in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That's it. That's the birth of Christ. Nobody could write so much in so few words. Luke's description of the Savior's birth is incredibly simple. But accommodations in Bethlehem were slim to none. When rooms filled up, stalls would often be erected, But even those were not available. On that cold day, Joseph and Mary found nothing, even despite Mary's urgency for shelter. They heard no room, were full. Until suddenly someone gave them permission to use their very crude stall, stable. It was there that Mary gave birth to Jesus with only Joseph attending her. When we think of Mary's pain, a stinking barnyard, the people's indifference, the humiliation. We see Christmas a little different. I grew up on a farm. I know what barns are like. They're dirty, they're filled with the smell of animal urine and the stench of manure and there's the cobwebs that are visibly outlined in dust. It's hard to imagine that this was the place Joseph had to prepare for Mary to deliver her baby. The anxiety, the stress of the moment, I experienced anxiety when my wife delivered three babies in sterile hospitals with obstetricians, the person who's trained in the delivery of babies. (laughs) And my stress level was here. I can't imagine Joseph and Mary. What Luke describes in a few words here is no idyllic scene. There was a stinking mess there. There was Mary's labor. There was blood. There was cries of pain. There was The birth of Jesus, these awkward hands of this carpenter, inexperienced and clumsy. God allows his son to be placed in this carpenter's son for the first time, still slippery with blood. Joseph holds the son of God. Then she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary would have received the baby. Joseph hands her to him. They wipe him down. These are claws they have brought with them. As any mother would, she's counting the toes, the fingers, she's looking him over, and then she wraps him and lays him in this feeding trough that Joseph has tried to sweep out the best he could. She lays him there. Max Lucado writes, That particular moment was like none other, for through that segment of time a spectacular thing occurred. God became man, while creatures of earth walked unaware divinity arrived. Kent Hughes writes, no child born into the world that day seemed to have lower prospects. The Son of God was born into the world, not as a prince, but as a pauper. We must never forget that this is where Christianity begins and where it always begins with a sense of need, sense of one's insufficiency. If we tell the story the way it is meant to be told, then we come face to face with God, the Son of God lying in a manger. The whole idea of incarnation is incomprehensible. The wonder of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God becoming a baby. The Pharisees never forgot Jesus' beginnings. They said to him, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. We are not illegitimate like you. Paul wrote over 60 years later, thinking back about that night in Bethlehem. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That is indescribable. Not a mounds candy bar. Not some experience. This is indescribable. The first guests that were invited, Luke says, were shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The shepherds were the first to hear. They were working shepherds, trying to keep warm by their fires at night. And then suddenly there is this host of angels appearing before them. They're frozen with fear. The message came to the shepherds, not the high and mighty, not the educated, but to these shepherds. And shepherds were considered very, very lowly. The only people lower were lepers. The only reason they're probably that close to Jerusalem is they take care of the sanctuary herds. But God chose these people because he comes to those with a sense of need. Everything God does is upside down to us and everything we do is upside down to him. 1 Corinthians says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What the angel said to the shepherds is amazing. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Paul wrote in his second letter to the corinthians one of the most powerful statements in the entire new testament in my estimation it is this god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god that verse alone explains christmas it explains the crucifixion it explains the resurrection it explains the plan of salvation Peter came pretty close writing the same thing. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Now the good news then is still the good news now. This Savior is for all the world. Joseph had been told this. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The writer of Hebrew says this Jesus, because he lives forever, is able to save completely those who come to him. There is this great company, it says here in verse 13, this great company of heavenly hosts appears and they sing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now it doesn't say he's singing, but it's a song that is written there. Job tells us that at creation, the angels sing, all of them, or multiple thousands of them. Job 38, 7, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So when Jesus was creating the world, because he's the creator, the angels were singing. And when he's born in that stable, the angels were singing again. What was the effect on the shepherds? Well, Luke tells us when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They immediately attributed to the Lord, These are simple shepherds. They have no doubt. They believe. They're the first invited guests to come see the Son of God. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and these shepherds were moved. No words are recorded by Luke from the shepherds. The moment was probably too sacred for any words. They just looked. They just stayed. They just soaked it in. They saw Joseph. They saw the new mother. They saw the baby. And they glorified and praised God, and they told everyone they could about what they had seen and heard. Jesus is the Savior, the real Savior of the whole world, who's come to save this is the news of Christmas. This is Christmas. Leonard Sweet, he wrote this book called Strong and Broken Places. Listen to this story. It's a collection of stories in this book. And here is, it's, this is one of the many stories in this book. This story is called The Whisper Test. Mary Ann was born with multiple birth defects, deaf in one ear, a cleft palate, a disfigured face, a crooked nose, lopsided feet. As a child, Mary Ann suffered not only the physical impairments but also the emotional damage inflicted by other children. Oh, Mary Ann, her classmates would say. What happened to your lip? I cut it on a piece of glass, she would lie. One of the worst experiences at school, she reported, was the day of the annual hearing test. The teacher would call each child to her desk, and the child would first cover one ear and then the other. The teacher would whisper something to the child, like, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. This was the whisper test. If the teacher's phrase was heard and repeated, the child passed the test. To avoid the humiliation of failure, Mary Ann would always cheat on the test, secretly cupping her hand over her one good ear so that she could still hear what the teacher said. One year, Mary Ann was in the class of Mrs. Leonard, one of the most beloved teachers in the school. Every student, including Mary Ann, wanted to be noticed by her, wanted to be her pet. Then came the day of the dreaded hearing test. When her turn came, Mary Ann was called to the teacher's desk. As Mary Ann cupped her hand over her good ear, Miss Leonard leaned forward to whisper, "'I waited for those words,' Mary Ann wrote." which God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard did not say the sky is blue or you have new shoes. What she whispered was, I wish you were my little girl. Marianne went on to become a teacher herself, a person of inner beauty and great kindness. Christmas is God whispering into your life, you are mine. Jesus came to tell each of us, you are mine. Christmas is God becoming human flesh. It is the incarnation, the doctrine of incarnation. It is so mind-boggling, so incomprehensible. It is that doctrine that we cannot and must never allow the secular world to take from us. It doesn't matter how many liberals refuse to believe the doctrine of incarnation. We will believe it. It is also the message of anything is possible with God. That's what the angel said to Mary. That's what the angel was telling the shepherds. That's what Christmas says to us. There are so many things that are not possible with us. So many of us are lost in our own darkness, our own broken world. But God says anything is possible with God. Christmas is about God reaching out to you to me and saying i love you